Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Well, it's a beautiful day here in Barrel. It's that time of year when summer is sort of drawing to a close and it's starting to get a little bit cooler at night around here, which is very pleasant. Um, and the kids, they've got their swimming carnivals and I live uh, just a few hundred metres from the big swimming pool in town. So I get to hear all the, the sirens going off a little, the, the beeper the, the, when they start the races and hear all the crowds cheering. So it's it's a it's a nice festive time of year for someone who lives close to a swimming pool. Anyway, okay, let's get into it today. I'm going to read you a story. Um, I've been meaning to do this one for a while because my mum used to love telling these stories that I'm going to do today. Uh, when I was a little girl, she she liked Greek mythology, and this one is her favourite. Some of the elements in this, it's a bit of a multi-part story. So anyway, let's just get into it today. I'm going to be telling you the story of The Six Labours of Theseus, as told by Nanny Piggins. Nanny Piggins and the children were just about to go to bed. They had broken the television that afternoon in a particularly athletic game of dodge shoe. Dodge shoe is a lot like dodge ball, except that you play it with a shoe instead of a ball. It turns out that a modern television is not designed to withstand the force of a steel-capped boot thrown at it with the full strength of the world's greatest flying pig. When Michael had dodged out of the way of the footwear hurtling towards his head, the TV screen had not been so lucky. TV screens can't run away. Instead, it was smashed. The children felt dreadful. The television had brought them so much joy over the years. It was an innocent bystander. If Michael had known this would be the result, he would much rather have been hit in the head with the boot himself. But Nanny Piggins decided to soothe the children and Boris, her brother, the ten-foot-tall ballet dancing bear from Russia, by telling them a bedtime story instead of watching TV. So they all gathered around her. Today, began Nanny Piggins, I shall tell you the story of the six labours of Theseus. Have they got anything to do with the twelve labours of Hercules? asked Michael. Oh no, said Nanny Piggins, except perhaps it suggests that the ancient Greeks may have been brilliant at science, art and inventing democracy, but they weren't terribly good at coming up with distinctive titles for their myths. Hang on, isn't Theseus the one who fought the Minotaur in the labyrinth? asked Derek. Spoiler alert, yelled Nanny Piggins. Oh, sorry, Nanny Piggins, said Derek. It's just that we did learn about that at school. We also learnt about it when you told us the story of Icarus and the wings made of wax, said Michael. Well, the six labours take place before that, said Nanny Piggins. This is Theseus's origin story. And since it is an origin story, we shall start at the very beginning, before Theseus was even born. Well, wouldn't that make it a pre-origin story, asked Michael. Or the origin of the origin story, said Derek. Would you just let me tell the story and have this ridiculous discussion later, preferably when I'm not here and I'm in the kitchen eating cake, said Nanny Piggins. 
The boys nodded. Okay, as I was saying, there was a king called Aegeus. Now, when I say king, you probably imagine something like the royal family in Britain. Well, Anna imagined that. It wasn't like that back then. You see, Athens wasn't really Athens yet. It wasn't a city. It was a group of tribes. Each tribe had their own king, and being kings in the ancient story days, they were always warring. So Aegeus really wanted a son, a boy who would grow up and help him beat the other kings and become ultimate ruler of all of Athens. But he wasn't having much luck in the baby-making department. So Aegeus sailed over to Trozan and asked his friend for advice. The friend said, I know, let's just have a big party and then you can marry my daughter. This seemed like a good idea at the time. So King Aegeus married the daughter and she was called Aethra. Aegeus married Aethra? That's just confusing, said Michael. Oh, I know, said Nanny Piggins. But it worked and she got pregnant. But Aegeus was a king and he really had to get home to his day job being king in Athens. The problem was there were so many other kings trying to kill him there. So it wasn't really a safe place for his wife and his soon-to-be newborn son. So King Aegeus left Aethra behind with her father. The rotter, said Samantha. Yes, well, that is one way to take it. In the ancient Greek story days, they preferred to spin it as being noble and selfless. And convenient, said Samantha. Yes, it certainly got him out of having to change diapers, agreed Nanny Piggins. And before he left, King Aegeus took his sword, which was super fancy, and his sandals, which were kind of grubby and smelly, and buried them in a hole. Then he picked up a huge rock and put it on top. There, said Aegeus. Do not tell my son who his father is until he is strong enough to lift up this rock. When he is that strong, I will need his help. Tell him who I am, and he shall bring the sword and sandals of proof that he is my son. Ah, okay, said Aethra, beginning to think that she dodged a bullet with this nitwit. And so Aegeus left, and nine months later, Theseus was born. And it was a good job Aegeus wasn't there, because Theseus was not what he had expected. Theseus was a baby girl. Oh, Aegeus wouldn't have liked that, said Samantha. Was she also a pig, asked Michael. Yes, how did you know, asked Nanny Piggins. Oh, just a lucky guess, said Michael. And was she also related to you? She was indeed. Aethra was delighted. Theseus was a wonderful little piglet. She named her Theseus Piggins Aegeus. And Theseus grew up to be bold, athletic, and most importantly, clever. One day, when Theseus was just seven years old, Hercules came to stay for a few weeks. The Hercules? So he is in this story. Oh, yes. The ancient Greek stories weave in and out of each other all the time. They were the original mythological multiverse. Well, Hercules was at the house, and if you remember, Hercules wore a lion skin coat. At least he thought it was lion skin. But it was really made of an Ikea faux fur rug, wasn't it, said Derek? You told us that in the story of the Nemean lion. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins. So Hercules was lounging about the house, it was his vacation after all, and he draped his coat over the back of the sofa. Now, meanwhile, a group of children, including Theseus, were running about the house playing. When they ran into the lounge room and saw the lion skin over the couch, they freaked out. The children thought it was a real lion and they all ran away screaming except 
for Theseus. She could quite clearly see it was a faux fur rug and that it did not go with the upholstery of her mother's sofa at all. Plus, to be blunt, it smelled. Hercules had worn this coat while performing 11 of his 12 labours and there were no dry cleaners or laundromats in the ancient story days. So it was sweaty and stinky. So without hesitating for an instant, Theseus whipped up the coat, swirled it about her head in a big loop and flung it straight out the window. Hercules was astonished. Ah, well done, what a brave child, he exclaimed. You took my cloak for a real lion and you were the only child brave enough to fight it. Theseus was too polite to point out to Hercules that he was a nincompoop and a grown man should be able to tell the difference between a cheap rug and a genuine animal hide. But Hercules was delighted with Theseus and spent the rest of his visit teaching her all his heroic ways. How to wrestle, how to sword fight, how to beat things with a club. And Theseus may have been staggeringly beautiful and an intellectual, but it was fun smashing things. So she enjoyed hanging out with Hercules for a few weeks. And she remembered and practiced all the skills he taught her. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Years later, when Theseus turned 18, she asked her mother, who is dad anyway? Well, you see that big rock in the middle of the garden, said her mother. You mean the ugly, inconveniently located one that we've all been stubbing our toes on for the last 18 years, asked Theseus. Yeah, that's the one, said her mother. You see, your dad made me promise that I was only allowed to tell you who he is when you're strong enough to move that rock. Theseus looked at the rock. Now, you have to understand, Theseus was smart and athletic, but she was only four foot tall and she only weighed 30 kilos. Hey, that's the exact same height and weight as you, Nanny Piggins, Michael observed. Yes, the petite genes are strong in the Piggins family. And this rock would have weighed five times more than her, said Nanny Piggins. So she couldn't lift it, said Samantha. Of course she could, said Nanny Piggins. She went to the shed, found a great long plank of wood and another smaller rock. And she used the small rock as a fulcrum and the wood as a lever and levered the giant rock up, then easily rolled it away. I don't think your dad was expecting you to do that, said Aethra, but you did it, so I suppose it counts. Your dad is Aegeus. You mean the king of Athens, exclaimed Theseus. Yes, said Aethra. Wow, Mum, nice work, said Theseus. Thank you, said Aethra. He buried his sword and sandals underneath that rock. If you dig them up, you can take them to him as proof that you're his child. And so that is what Theseus did. The sword was impressive and as sharp as the day it was buried. And even the sandals were better than she imagined. In the 18 years they'd been buried underground, the foot sweat smell had worn off. So she put on the sandals and strapped the sword about her waist. Right, I'm off to meet my dad, she announced. Well, you better take your grandfather's boat, said Aethra. It's quicker and safer. The road that runs along the cliff tops from here to Athens is full of robbers and monsters and bandits. 
Oh, I'm sure it's not that bad, said Theseus. There are six openings to the underworld along that road, warned Aethra, and each one is guarded by its own evil villain. But I don't want to go by boat, said Theseus. Sea spray plays havoc with my hair. Salt water is so drying. I'm prepared to risk the road route. So that is what Theseus did. She set out walking. And she soon found out her mother had not exaggerated. For pretty soon, she met the first guardian of the underworld. Periphetes, the club bearer. What, did he have a nightclub where people could dance and have a good time, asked Derek. No, not that type of club, said Nanny Piggins. He had the type of club you used to bop people on the head with. And that is what he did all day long. Anyone who passed his home on the road was bashed on the head with his enormous club until they were bashed right down into the ground. Oh, what a meanie, said Boris. Yes, agreed Nanny Piggins. As Theseus approached, Periphetes raised his club. <laughs> someone to bash, exclaimed Periphetes. I like bashing people. Ah, oh, bashing people is boring, said Theseus. You'd be much better off bashing these. She held out a bag of peanuts. If you bash these, you'll get peanut butter, and that's delicious on just about everything. Really, said Periphetes. Oh, yes, said Theseus. Lend me a giant club and I'll show you. Periphetes handed over his club. Theseus shelled the peanuts and, using the club, bashed them to a pulp. Then she spread the peanut butter on some bread. Try that, she urged. It's delicious, said Periphetes. Thank you. How can I ever repay you for introducing me to this delicious food? Oh, can I keep this club, said Theseus? Sure, I've got a whole house full of clubs back home. You keep it. So Theseus kept walking with her new club. The next day of her journey, she met Pitya Camptes, he who bends pine trees. Well, why would anybody bend a pine tree, asked Samantha. I think it has something to do with making furniture, explained Nanny Piggins. If you bend over a tree, it grows in a curved shape, so it's easier to make into a chair. Anyway, when Theseus met this fellow, he'd already bent one tree over and tied its top close to the ground, and he was bending over another tree. Ho there, called the tree bender. Could you hold down this tree for me while I fetch my rope to fasten it? Theseus looked about at the trees nearby. Why are there skeletons dangling from the tops of all those trees? She asked. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about, said the tree bender. They're just uh, bird's nests. You're just imagining things. Theseus peered at the treetops. I am not. They are human skeletons, but not whole ones. There's either the top half or the bottom half hanging from each of the trees. Oh, gosh, I've got no idea how they got there, lied the tree bender. Hmm, said Theseus. Either you've got hideously gruesome Christmas ornaments, or you've been tying people's hands to one tree and their feet to another, bending the trees over and then letting go so they get torn in half. That's dreadful, cried Samantha. I know, said Nanny Piggins. Well, let's see how you like being tied to a bent-over tree, said Theseus. She grabbed the tree bender by the wrist and bound him to the top of the tree that he'd already bent over. Theseus then drew her sword and sliced the rope holding the tree down, and the tree bender was hurled high into the sky, over the clifftop, and into the ocean. Which taught him a lesson. So Theseus kept on walking. On the third day, she came to the Gromyanin sow. Sow? You mean like a pig, asked Samantha. Yes, she was like a pig, but a giant monster-sized pig. And she'd been tormenting all the humans in the neighbourhood for years. 
So did Theseus fling her into the ocean too, asked Derek. No, actually, Theseus found her to be delightful company. The sow explained she only tormented the humans because they said so many hurtful things about her appearance. Theseus was so enraged, she spent several days running around with the sow, tormenting the local people herself. But then she really did have to carry on with her journey. The next day, Theseus met Skyron. He was a great oaf, sitting in the middle of the road on a tiny stool with a wash basin set in front of him. Ah, hello, said Theseus wearily. May I just pass by? I need to get to Athens to meet my father. Oh, you may pass, said Skyron, if you wash my feet first. Oh, that's just gross, said Derek. Yes, it seems gross to us, said Nanny Piggins, but you've got to realise that back in the ancient days, everyone wore sandals and roads were not covered in bitumen, so they were very dusty. So washing feet was a thing people did for other people all the time. It was a nice thing to do for someone who was tired. It wouldn't have been quite so weird then. So you're saying all I have to do is wash your feet and you'll let me pass, asked Theseus. Oh, yes, said Skyron. You promise, asked Theseus. Oh, yes, I pinky promise, said the huge oaf. Theseus carefully moved forward, as far away from the cliff's edge as possible. She knelt down by the basin, and Skyron hiked up his trousers so the hems wouldn't get wet when he put his feet in. This was when Theseus noticed something about Skyron's hands. Hang about! You don't have any pinky fingers! They look like they've been cut off in some sort of industrial accident. So you can't make a pinky promise. No, agreed Skyron, now with a big grin on his ugly oaf face. But I do have a pet turtle. He lives at the bottom of that cliff and he is hungry. So you are going to feed him for me. Skyron kicked Theseus hard towards the cliff's edge. But Theseus grabbed hold of Skyron's foot so she didn't fly over. Let go, you pesky pig, cried Skyron. My turtle is hungry and longs to eat your flesh. If your turtle is hungry, said Theseus, reaching out with one hand and grabbing her club from the ground, then a great big oaf like you will make a better meal. Theseus swung her club and bashed Skyron right off the cliff and down onto the rocks below where he was eaten by his own turtle. The turtles are vegetarian, said Derek. Derek, it's bad enough when you apply logic and reason to my stories, but must you now apply scientific facts as well? Sorry, Nanny Piggins, said Derek. I don't know what came over me. It's the ancient Greek story days. Gods transformed into swans, horses flew with wings, and enchanted apples triggered wars. Is it really so hard to believe that there was also a turtle that liked a nice steak? I suppose not, conceded Derek. So Theseus kept walking, and next she came to King Suryon. A king was just standing there on the side of the road? Yes, said Nanny Piggins. Again, don't imagine this king looked like one of the British royal family or the kings you see in Disney movies. These kings were kings of tribes, and they usually became kings by being able to bash up more people than anyone else in the tribe. King Suryon loved fighting, so he'd just hang out by the side of the road waiting for people to come by, and then he'd challenge them to a wrestling match. Oi, you there, King Suryon called out to Theseus. Would you like to have a wrestle? No, thank you, said Theseus. I'll make it worth your while, said King Suryon. If you win, you can have my whole kingdom. I don't really have time for wrestling, said Theseus, all running kingdoms. 
Well, then I shall not let you pass, said the king, and I'll stop you by wrestling with you. You mean so you get to do your wrestling either way, said Theseus. Yes, said the king gleefully. Theseus was so petite, he didn't think he'd have a hard time beating her, so it was going to be fun. Fine, said Theseus, stepping closer to the edge of the cliff. Bring it on. The king howled his battle cry and hurled himself at Theseus, running at full speed. Oh dear, said Theseus, glancing down. My sandal appears to have come unbuckled. She dropped to her knees to refasten it. The king smashed into her, and because she was kneeling down, the king's legs were stopped, but his top half kept going, and he tripped. And just as he went flying over her, Theseus stood up quickly, flipping the king over the edge and into the sea. That's a wrestling move I invented myself, Theseus called after the king. I call it the bend and flip. The trick is using your opponent's superior weight and momentum against them. It's got to do with this thing called physics. Not that King Seryon heard any of this because he was unconscious at the bottom of the cliff at the time. So Theseus kept on walking. She was not far from Athens now, and she was tired after so much walking and fighting and demonstrating principles of physics. Night was beginning to fall when she came to a blacksmith's house. The blacksmith met her at the door, his blacksmith's hammer still in his hand. Welcome, welcome, called the blacksmith. You must be tired. My name is Procrustes. I insist you stop here and stay the night as my guest. I don't know, said Theseus suspiciously. She was aware that there were six villainous guardians to the underworld along this road, and so far she'd only met five. I have the most comfortable bed, boasted Procrustes. It fits everyone who lies in it. Does it now, said Theseus suspiciously. Oh, yes, said Procrustes. Every traveller who passes this road gets invited in, and I've never met a traveller it didn't fit. My servant shall lead you to your room. A terrified-looking servant emerged. He bowed to Theseus and led her to the guest room. And it was a beautiful room, fine furnishings and beautiful wall hangings. And in the centre of the room was a magnificent bed with a beautiful soft mattress lying on top of a steel frame. Did the blacksmith make this bed himself out of steel, asked Theseus. Oh, yes, said the servant. My master never puts down his blacksmith's hammer. That is why we've never had a guest who didn't fit this bed. What do you mean? asked Theseus. If you get into the bed and you're not tall enough to fit it properly, he will hammer you out until you are. What? said Theseus. He will hammer you out like the metal he hammers by his blacksmith's furnace. He will beat you and beat you like his tenderizing steak until you're long and flat and tall enough to fit the bed. But what if you get a guest who's taller than the bed? asked Theseus. That's even worse, said the servant. What can be worse than being beaten flat? If you're taller than the bed, he'll cut your feet off, said the servant. Okay, that is bad, said Theseus. I have heard tell of your exploits, said the servant. You have disarmed the club bearer, flung the pine tree bender out to sea, pacified the sow, fed Skyron to his own turtle, and out-wrestled King Suryon. You have done so much for the people along this road. It was exhausting trying to get to the supermarket past all that lot every day. I don't want you to die now just because you don't fit a bed. Theseus, as I have said, was only four foot tall, and the bed was six feet long. It would take many blows of a hammer to make her fit. Leave it with me, she said. Just then, Procrustes entered the room. How do you like my guest bed? he asked. Oh, it's lovely, said Theseus. The only problem is, I have never laid in a bed before. I don't know how it's done. 
Well, you just lie down. It's easy, said Procrustes. Lie down, said Theseus. But we pigs sleep on straw in a sty. I've never laid down in a bed before. Perhaps you could demonstrate how it's done. Well, it's the easiest thing in the world, said the blacksmith. Like this. He put down his hammer, sat on the bed, spun around and lay back. You see? Oh, dear, said Theseus. You're a bit too tall for this bed. Don't worry, I can help with that. She whipped out her sword and swung at the top of his head. Oh, that's awful, said Boris. Nah, it wasn't that bad, said Nanny Piggins. Theseus had excellent aim. She just chopped off all his hair, completely shaved it to the skin. Oh, dear, said Theseus. That didn't work. I'll have to try again. But I only chop off people's feet, not their heads, protested Procrustes. Okay, said Theseus. Hold still and I'll do that. She raised her sword high over her head. Procrustes leapt out of the bed and ran off into the night, never to return again. And his hair never did grow back, so he had a constant reminder of his own wickedness. After one more day of walking, Theseus's journey finally ended when she arrived in Athens. And she met her father, who made her princess of Athens, and they all lived happily ever after the end, guessed Samantha. Oh, gosh, no, said Nanny Piggins. No, she arrived at the palace and discovered her father was now married to an evil witch. What? cried the children. Oh, I hate it when that happens, wailed Boris. But where did the witch come from, demanded Derek. Oh, that's a whole other story for another day, said Nanny Piggins. I've just told you a story with six labours. Surely that's enough. After telling you a story with six labours, I need six slices of cake. Come on, last one to the kitchen has to whisk the eggs. And she took off running to bake those cakes. And that is the end of the story. So that's it for now. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>